Sorry, we're getting a few started a few minutes late. I was just having a good conversation with Seth, so had to couldn't stop that. Um, all right, welcome back. Uh, everyone, hear me? Okay, Mike's good. Cool. Uh, so today uh, we're we're back in the Psalms. Uh, if this is your first time joining us uh, for this summer class, uh, we're doing a, a study of the Psalms. Brad Morrow and I are leading it. Uh, we've kind of broken it up, so I'm at the end of my first um, part, and then next week Brad will get us going. So if, if you have been here, I've been pretty much breaking Psalms down, like one or two Psalms each day, down line by line, um, which may not be the most exciting way to study the Psalms, especially for an entire summer. So Brad's going to come in next week and do things a little differently. Uh, he's going to uh, bring in some historical uh, references, talk about the Hebrews and the use of the Psalms in the Old Testament, Testament maybe a little bit more of the history of the Psalms. Uh, so that'll be really enlightening, uh, certainly provide more context to, to what we've been studying. I'm excited about that. Uh, we've also been doing a reading plan uh, there's 150 psalms in our classes, 70 days, so the goal is to get through them on your own or with your small group or with a partner, whatever it is. So this week, uh, if you're following along, we'll do 29 through 42, uh, two a day. If you haven't been following along, there's no reason not to jump in. Uh, you don't have to read these from front to back, uh, so go ahead and, and jump in if you feel like it. Uh, in it for anyone that has been following along with the reading plan, is there anything you'd like to share from this past week? Uh, we were doing 15 through 28. If anyone would like to share anything. Okay. Um, one of the, the, the goals of this class is to help you read familiar psalms in a fresh light. So this last week, you know, there's Psalm 23, which is the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, you know, the very popular one that everyone's familiar with. Uh, so I, I hope by the way we're breaking down the Psalms that you're able to read these uh, with fresh eyes, maybe get past the popular lyrics and, and look at the images afresh. So why a class on the Psalms covered this a few times already, but you know the, the goal of it, and just like the, uh, the title says, to tune our hearts. This is about tuning our, our, our hearts uh, individually and collectively to praise God and to speak with God. It's, it's really a, an opportunity for us to learn how to be real uh, with God. Uh, last week, we were looking at Psalms of Lament. Uh, we started in the depths, and we ended wallowing in the dust. We didn't really come out of it at all last week. And so it, it's, it was an opportunity for us to look at it and, and realize that, you know, it's okay to, when you're in this position, to talk to God, be real with Him about where you are. It doesn't always have to be um, buttercups and rainbows. But that's what today is, buttercups and rainbows. The way we're reading them in this class is uh, you should all have a handout. If, uh, was there enough? Everyone get one? There might be more in the back. Uh, but I've got two versions that we're really looking at. There's so many different translations of the Psalms and commentaries that I wanted to kind of simplify it and focus on too. So I've been reading through Robert Alter's uh, translation and commentary, which has been really helpful, and then also the ESV. So today I've got two that we passed out, uh, Psalm 91 that we'll read, gave you both translations, and 104 just gave you Robert Alters since it's so long. And I thought about, with my parts of the class anyway, of doing kind of a progressive uh, 
uh, emotion building of the class. You know, we were in despair last week and maybe going doubt and then repentance, hope, happiness. I think that'd be a cool way to, to structure them and look at them. But uh, I don't know about you. My emotions don't quite work that sequentially. I might be in utter despair, and then five minutes later, nothing has happened, but I'm just happy all of a sudden. So that's why we're doing Thanksgiving today. <clears throat> so last week we talked about how lament psalms can provide a structure for your crisis or your grief. Um, if you like listening to depressing music like I do sometimes, it's just nice to hear someone else say what you're feeling. Um, and, and you read the words and you say, yes, that's, that is it. They nailed it. And you kind of realize that you're not alone. You're not the only one who's ever felt that way, uh, which it can certainly feel that way. Uh, so today, again, Thanksgiving Psalms. So these are the ones that you know go on the decorative pillows or encouraging uh, cards. Uh, you've seen these on, on the wall in people's bathrooms with a picture of a cross or something. So these are ones that almost take a bit more effort to get past those common phrases and to dig a little further into it. Uh, for me, they're kind of difficult to read compared to laments or the, the rescue ones. I don't know why. Maybe I don't relate to them as much or I'm more likely to look for uh, help when I'm in despair as opposed to um, looking for words of thanksgiving when I'm feeling happy. So I'm sure some of you are different. I hope most of you are different than that, uh, that even when things are going good, you still turn to the Psalms and you still turn to God and you don't, don't just wait for those moments of, of grief or despair. All right, so I wanted to touch a little bit about the psychology of, of these and why you might want to look at them and... Um, there's been a lot of different theories over the past couple centuries about how we feel emotion, like why we feel it, or how it works, the functioning of it. And there was an entire branch of psychology that said, uh, we are happy because we smile. So that was the James Lang theory. And this is what the psychologist William James said. We feel sorry because we cry, angry because we strike, afraid because we tremble. Now, that's kind of backwards. You, you generally think, well, I smile because I'm happy. So there is certainly a counter theory to this, and that was the prominent one before they came out with theirs in the 19th century. So this was a long time ago, and there's been a lot of progress there. We're learning more about neurology and, and how all that is functioning uh, physiologically in our bodies. But it's an interesting thing to consider. You know, does the act of smiling make you happy? Everyone smile. Just, how do you feel now? Feel better. Um, my dad used this with me when I was a kid, and I absolutely hated it. Yet I still use it with my kids. And it works. They're, they're angry, they're frustrated, and they're stomping off saying, okay, fine. And you say, Bonham, don't smile. And all of a sudden, he smiles, his attitude changes, and he says, fine. And then he's laughing and walking off. It works when they're, when they're young. Don't keep doing that in teenage years. It, it might have the adverse effect as it did with me. But there's something, something to that idea of starting your day or I know when I've been practicing or preparing for a difficult conversation, if I put myself in a mindset of 
of happiness or gratitude or whatever it is, I approach that conversation completely differently. And sometimes all it takes is a simple smile to myself. Um, it, it's kind of that, that idea of fake it till you make it, right? Um, we've all heard that one. Another thing that, another idea that's in vogue right now, I think Tony Robbins, is that attitude of gratitude. How many of you have read a book recently about the attitude of gratitude? And the idea is being, in the act of being thankful, you will feel better. You, you, you give thanks for the things that you have. You're, you're drawing attention to what's already going well in your life. And now you have this attitude of gratitude. And it shapes, uh, if you listen to Tony Robbins, your entire life. And it'll change, it'll change everything. And there's something to that, for sure. And so this idea of, of you know, thinking of emotions kind of backwards from how logically we want to approach it, uh, there's something to be said here. Whether it's true universally, probably not, but it's just an interesting theory to consider. And that's kind of what I, how I want to approach the psalms we're looking at today. And, and when you're looking at Thanksgiving psalms, sometimes it's, uh, you may, it may not be repeating how you feel, but by repeating it, you start to feel that way. So if you followed along with the readings this week in the, uh, in the reading plan, you'll see a lot of familiar elements, even though uh, these are much later in the book of Psalms. You'll see a lot of familiar elements as uh, these. So I just want to go ahead and jump right in. And we'll start with 91. And I'll, we'll do the uh, Robert Alter translation. And Angela, would you mind reading that one? Uh, Steve, do you have a mic? We'll get that going real quick. So one thing to, to note with this one, um, if, you've, if you've noticed in the past few classes, I've left off the whole uh, intro to each psalm about who the author is. I haven't really talked about authorship of psalms at all. This one doesn't have any attribution to it. You'll notice in your Bible, most of them say, a psalm of David or for David or whoever it is. This one doesn't have it. And as we're reading this one, you know, for me it was kind of tricky to keep up with who is speaking. Uh, it seems to jump around. The pronouns don't seem to always make a whole lot of sense. So I want to read Alter's translation and then we'll, we'll discuss on that and try to, try to pick out who's speaking and who's the audience. All right. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the most high shelter, in the shadow of Shaddai, lies at night. I say of the Lord, my refuge and bastion, my God in whom I trust. For he will save you from the fowler's snare, from the disastrous plague. With his pinion he shelters you, and beneath his wings you take refuge, a shield and a buckler his truth. You shall not fear from the terror of the night, nor from the arrow that flies by day, from the plague that stalks in darkness, nor from the scourge that rages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, you it will not reach. You but look with your eyes and the wicked's requital, requital you see. For you, the Lord is your refuge, the most high you have made your abode. No harm will befall you, nor affliction draw near to your tent. For his messengers, he charges for you to guard you on all your ways. On their palms, they lift you up, lest your foot be bruised by a stone. On lion and viper head you tread, 
you trample young lion and serpent. For me he desired, and I freed him. I raised him high, for he has known my name. He calls me, and I answer him. I am with him in his straits. I deliver him and grant him honor. With length of days I shall sate him and show him my rescue. Sorry. There we go. Back. Thanks, Angela. Um, okay. Uh, how, how, how do you guys see that one? What kind of things did that make you feel or think about? This isn't a, a strictly a Thanksgiving psalm. Um, anyone? This one is, is really a uh, psalm of comfort and, and used that way quite a bit. Psalm of protection. Uh, I think there's, there's a few ideas that this is almost <clears throat> one that you would use to call upon the protection of God. Uh, so, so you would use these words, and maybe uh, they would use them in their praise as a way to to uh, call upon God's protection by acknowledging that He protects them. So this is this is a comfort psalm, and I just wanted to to ask, you know, how how might this psalm in particular comfort you? This one doesn't have any authorship attributed to it. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, it's not really a promise that you will never stumble. It's more of an acknowledgement that God is actively engaging in your life to protect you. He's not just distant, as we've seen in other psalms, that he is sending his messengers, in this case, uh, to protect you. Um, as far as authorship goes, that first psalm, I mean the first line, the first verse, He who dwells in the Most High shelter in the shadow of Shaddai lies at night. It seems like that's who the author is. I was wondering why it skipped from he, as if it's talking about someone else, to now saying I. So there's that dash there, and I think that dash actually means something, where he's, he's, he's kind of giving himself a title of he is the one who dwells in the most high shelter, acknowledging that he is completely dependent on God, and he finds his rest and relief in God. And then he says... Uh, my refuge and bastion, my God, in whom I trust. Now, Shaddai, you might have uh, known that Amy Grant song from the 90s, El Shaddai. Um, so, Shaddai, El Shaddai, as David taught us last week, El, name for God. Uh, Shaddai, it's one of the many names attributed to God, and it's often translated as like God Almighty. 
but what seems to fit better with Shaddai is this idea of protection, um, almost like a bosom. And, and as we see with the imagery that continues about a bird being sheltered by a wing, it seems like that's kind of why he used that name, El Shaddai. So I think the, the n- different names that they use for God throughout, they're doing it on purpose. You know, there's so many different names that we attribute to God. And, and so in this case, it's, it's almost a title for his actions in this one. It might be a stretch. Uh, I had to look up Pinion in verse 4 because I thought that was a tree because I've lived in New Mexico for a while. <laughs> Does anyone know what Pinion is? Feathers, yeah, it's the, the wing feathers. I had no idea. So I was like, man, so we have this image of a tree. I'm glad I looked it up because it kind of continues perfectly with the next. With his pinion, he shelters you, and beneath his wings, you take refuge. So it's continuing the, the image of a bird uh, sheltering its, its young, saving you from the fowler's snare. Uh, also in four, we have the armor of God which is certainly a common theme, uh, the shield and buckler for his truth. In 5 and 6, God will protect. Uh, and, and I like 5 and 6 because it's, it's pretty much opening up what, broadening what God protects from. He's not just protecting you from a certain thing. Uh, it's, in this case, battle. So, you shall not fear from the terror of the night, nor from the arrow that flies by day. So, the image of battle. And then six, also from the plague that stalks in darkness, nor from the scourge that rages at noon. So, he's acknowledging that God protects him not only from the battles that are raging around him, which they probably certainly were, but also from plague and disease, which would be a much more terrifying thing back then, I imagine, than today. Um, so all types of threats. Eight, you but look with your eyes and the wicked's requital you see. It's almost that idea of, of simply by, by looking at the wicked, they receive justice. He doesn't have to go out of his way to make, do any action. And I can't remember if there was another thing in here. No, that's the next one about how his voice Simply from his voice, action happens. Uh, but with this, it's just the look. Um, nine, for you, the Lord is your refuge, the most high you have made your abode. So who is you throughout this whole thing? So if we, if we introduce this as the author is he who dwells in the most high shelter, uh, who is he talking to throughout this? We have you and your a lot, but it's not God he's talking to. He's not addressing God. Who, who is he talking to? I like that. 
Yeah. Uh, that, that this is uh, an instructional psalm. Eleven through thirteen. For his messengers he charges for you to guard you on all your ways. On their palms they lift you up, lest your foot be bruised by a stone. On lion and viper head you tread, you trample young lion and serpent. Uh, what's the point of this this narrative? What's the point of this image? Travel grace? Yeah. <laughs> so we might change it to read uh on well-inflated tires you travel, and on, we could still use snakes, and mosquitoes you, you, you bowl over. <clears throat> yeah, travel hazards. Uh, Satan Okay, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So how, how Satan used this particular psalm to tempt Jesus of saying you, can, you should be able to rely on God to not let you get hurt. Um, and what was Jesus' response to that? Yeah, I don't have that memorized. What was that? You should not tempt the Lord your God. Yeah, um, and just because God provides protection, does that mean, it was mentioned earlier, Chuck, that you know, harm still befalls you, right? All of us, and we talked about that last week, the humanism of, of life. Uh, that All right, even if God is providing messengers and protection, he's not saying you'll never experience these things. It's just kind of that you can take courage, you can be comforted by the idea that, that God is, is still there. Yeah, yeah. it addresses the, the hazards that you experience daily walking on a rocky road that's not paved with lion cubs and vipers all around you. Um, yeah, it definitely brings it down to the personal level compared to other psalms we've read that have been more on a uh, universal or, or galactic level and then at the level of an army, uh, which is, seems a little distant from the individual. So yeah. Uh, others have used this one to, as uh, as proof of guardian angels. Um, all right, and then fourteen, sixteen. Who's talking here? Fourteen through sixteen. God. What does he say? Paraphrased. <laughs>
Okay. Yeah. He, he, he confirms, he reiterates uh, what the psalmist has laid out. You know, the psalmist started it out in verse 2. I say to the, of the Lord, my refuge and bastion, my God in whom I trust. And then God replies, for me, he desired and I freed him. I raised him high for he has known my name. He calls me and I answer him. I am with him in his straits. I deliver him and grant him honor. With length of days I shall sate him and show him my rescue. Any other thoughts on that one? Brad. Thanks. Uh, let's, let's jump over to 104. Milt, would you mind reading that for us? Uh, we've got a mic somewhere. Uh, he's right in the middle. <laughs> Psalm 104. Bless O my being the Lord. Lord my God, you are very great. Grandeur and glory you don't. Wrapped in light like a cloak, stretching out heavens like a tent cloth. Setting beams for his lofts in the waters, making his chariot the clouds. He goes on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers the wind, his ministers, glowing fire. He founded earth and its solid base, not to be shaken forevermore. With the deep, you covered it like a garment. Over mountains, the waters stood. From your blast, they fed. From the sound of your thunder, they scattered. They went up to the mountains, went down to the valleys, to the place that you have founded for them. A border you fixed so that they could not cross, so that they could not come back to cover the earth. You let loose the springs in freshets. Among the mountains, they go. They water all beasts of the field. The wild asses slack their thirst. Above them, the fowl of the heavens dwell. From among the foliage, they send forth their voice. He waters the mountains from his lofts. From the fruit of your works, the earth is sated. He makes the hay sprout for cattle, grass for the labor of the humankind, to bring forth bread from the earth. And wine that gladdens the heart of man, that makes faces shine 
brighter than oil, and bread that sustains the heart of man. The trees of the Lord drink their fill, the Lebanon cedars he planted, where the birds make their nest, the stork whose home is the cypresses. The high mountains from the gazelles, the crags of a shelter for badgers. He made the moon for the fixed seasons, the sun he appointed its setting. You bring down darkness and it turns to night, in which all beasts of the forest stir. The lions roar for prey, seeking from God their food. When the sun comes up, they head home, and in their dens they lie down. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. How many your deeds, O Lord, all of them you do in wisdom. All the earth is filled with your riches. This sea, great and wide, where creatures beyond number stir, the little beast and, and the large. There the ships go, this Leviathan he fashioned to play with. All of them look to you to give them their food in its season. When you give them, they gather it in. When you open your hand, they are sated with good. When you hide your face, they panic. You withdraw their breath and they perish, and to the dust they return. When you send forth your breath, they are created, and you renew and you renew the face of the earth. May the Lord's glory be forever. May the God rejoice. May the Lord rejoice in His works. Who but looks down to earth and and its trembles, but touches the mountains they smoke. Let me sing to the Lord while I live. Let me hymn to the Lord while I breathe. Let me speech. Let my speech be sweet unto him. As for me, I rejoice in the Lord. Let offenders vanish from earth and the wicked be no more. Bless, O my being, the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Okay, if, if you've never read Thanksgiving Psalms, and these are the first two you've ever read, um, what are, what's kind of the standard format of, of the psalmists giving thanks to God? How do they do it? What's familiar? What's what's common between these two? As we read more of them, you'll see that it's really about acknowledging what God has done, and, and it's even in the lament psalms as well. It was acknowledging what God has done in the past. A lot of these Thanksgiving psalms center around creation and almost repeat the creation story. And so a lot of the psalms that were in the reading plan were. They had very similar elements, if not identical lines, of, of just recognizing the glory that God has created. Uh, I think we talked about in the first week um, the psalmist's response just from being out in nature and seeing something amazing. He can't help but sing. Uh, th- this one has a lot of different elements to it, for sure. We won't go through them line by line, um, even though I really like to. But in this one, we have this idea of God controlling nature, which is not foreign to us by any means. Uh, but if you think of other cultural cultures, especially ancient ones, they, they attributed all these natural occurrences to individual gods. Right? So you had all these individual gods who did these things of nature. The god of thunder, the god of the sun, um, the god of the waters. And here we're, we're having the Almighty God, control it all. So it's saying that he is above 
all of your cultural gods, and he is controlling everything that you've attributed to someone else. He is the one in charge of it. Um, water is prevalent throughout this one. It, it's kind of interesting to, to look through the, how the role of water changes. And we've seen water a lot already, and water is quite prevalent in the, uh, the creation story, right? What's the first thing God did? He separated the waters. Um, so three, setting beams for his lofts in the waters, making his chariot the clouds, he goes on the wings of the wind. Um, that idea of setting beams for his lofts in the water goes back to Genesis 1 where God separated the waters and he's above the upper waters. And then throughout here, he's, he's controlling them. Simply with his voice, he's, he's moving water. He's putting it in places. He's, um, it was covered over the mountains. From your blast, they fled. And the sound of the thunder, they scattered. The waters, he, he controlled them. Uh, nine, a border you fixed so they could not cross, so that they uh, could not come back to cover the earth. Uh, so that's the land that he's established. Um, it's not a commentary on immigration. It's just about water. Uh, ten, now we have a different, a different body of water altogether. Uh, you let loose the springs and freshets among the mountains they go. What's the difference between the waters of the ocean and spring waters? I hear a lot. Salt? No salt. Uh, can you drink seawater? No, it, it, you can, but it, it, you won't last very long doing that. So for us as humans, springs are life-giving. The ocean is, is life-taking. So now he's, he, not only has he, has he been controlling the waters that covered the earth, he is now bringing forth waters that sustain life, uh, that water not only the beasts of the fields, the domesticated animals, but the undomesticated animals, uh, taking care of the birds and the badgers and the gazelles and cattle. Um, so he has made a home for everything. That's, that's kind of the, the picture set here is it's bringing in all these random pieces, but they all have a purpose. Why badgers? How are they different from gazelles? Well, just where they live and where they find their sustenance. Then the moon for the fixed season, the sun... He, you bring down darkness and it turns to night in which all beasts of this first store stir. This is different than the darkness we normally see, which is often attributed with evil uh, throughout the Psalms. But here it's kind of saying you've established a natural rhythm. You've established a natural cycle where men awake in the morning, they go to their work, they come home in the evening, the lions come out. The lions aren't evil in this sense. You're not trying to trample on the lions like we were in the other psalm. Everything has a purpose. God has created amazing things, even things that can harm us when we're walking on a rocky road. Uh, 26, this sea great and wide. Uh, no, sorry. There the ships go, the Leviathan you fa- fashioned to play with. Uh, what is the Leviathan? The sea, the sea monster. Um, again, the Canaanite idea of creation was there was this evil sea monster that lived in the oceans and God first had to tame the Leviathan before he could create the earth. That has come up over and over and over again in the Psalms and it's, it, I think it's more of a cultural reference than a uh, historically accurate one. But the idea that not only did he calm the oceans, he has 
um, he has fashioned the Leviathan. He tamed it so that we can use it for good. So they can travel on the waters now. Um, earlier we had voices, uh, God's voice controlling nature, and now we have his, his breath providing life. Again, continuing the, the creation story in 29. And then we have man's place in all of this. Uh, what is man's place in all of this? 33. To praise God. Um, earlier it mentions man goes, labors in the field, and he praises God. That is what we are to do. Work and praise. Work and praise. And to enjoy what God has created. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy what he has created. Anything else? Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't take long before you start taking things for granted. Think of your kids. <laughs> um, or moving to Fort Collins, right? When you move to Fort Collins from West Texas or from Houston, you're in awe for a while, and that lasts a, a good year or two, and then afterwards you just kind of, oh, yeah, that's horse tooth. You just take it for granted. You, you don't even realize, oh, there's someone in the middle of town in the creek fly fishing. I saw that yesterday on Timberline. There's someone down the river fly fishing. You know, yeah, that's normal. No, it's not. That's amazing. <laughs> but but we, we, we take for granted all these things, and the psalmists kind of get us out of our um, self-focus and move, shift the focus back to God. Uh, throughout the Thanksgiving, it's not, thank you for uh, my shirt, thank you for my food, thank you for this. It's what you have done beyond me is amazing, and I am just in the midst of it, and in fear, which as we mentioned last week is, is the idea of awe of an almighty being, right? Just, this is amazing and I'm here. Yeah, uh, you got to get you, you got to be careful not getting caught up in the works of God as the subject of worship and move past that and realize it's God. Um, out of time, I want to show a video. Uh, Brad's going to be here next week. Uh, I think talking Hebrewesque things. Sure. sure. Um, so I found this uh, video, which is Psalm one hundred four. Um, being played on, you know, this was recorded 3,000 years ago by the original psalmist on the original instruments. So just recognize that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'll just let you guys, could you play that, Steve? Thanks.
שמה, נוטה שמיים קריח, אבחרה במים עליותיו, הסמבים רכובו, המהלך הכנפי רוח, עושה מלאכה רוחות, משרת אב ואש לוהט, יסד ארץ על מכוניה, בלטימות עולם That's all I've got. Thanks.